0: It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT the Brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT. You know me probably better than anybody out there.
1: It's time for the JT the Brick Show.
0: We're going to play old school football. JT
1: the Brick on Raider Nation Radio 920
0: AM. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's
1: your host, JT the Brick.
0: All right, welcome back. Hour number two on a Monday. JT, brought to you by Sam and Ash. Go to SalmonashLaw.com because you deserve what's right. Hope everybody had a big weekend. Uh, this is where it happened uh, last year, right around this time, when the Pac-12 tournament, when the conference basketball tournaments came to Vegas, and everything was shut down. And it's been a very unique year, hasn't it? Think about everything that's happened in your life personally over the last year with your job, with your family your relatives, whoever it is. You know, my parents got their second vaccines, finally. Their grandkids. My my parents have seven grandkids. And now, all of a sudden today, I'm on the phone before the show, and my nephew, who's out of college, is going to visit my dad. And, you know, people are now opening up, and they're getting on airplanes and traveling because some of the elderly are getting their shots. But this time last year, we had no idea what was going to happen. We heard about this coronavirus and a potential pandemic, but it didn't affect sports until this week. This was the week it changed everything. And I want to thank you for coming back and listening to the show on all the platforms that I do because I hope to never do another year like this. I never worked this many shows, this many hours, and it was during a pandemic because what we needed to do was we needed to talk about sports as a distraction about what else was happening. On top of the fact locally here in Vegas, the Raiders launched in a brand new market in Las Vegas, moved their entire franchise from Oakland all the way to Henderson, and to the new stadium and had to build it and complete it and get it done, and now the Raiders are ready to roll this year. And there's a lot to talk about. Uh today right now tonight, it was on a Monday night 50 years ago to the date. March 8, 1971, the biggest fight of all time, the biggest grossing fight at the time. The biggest one ever. Ali Frazier One, We're going to talk to a gentleman who was there at the fight ringside working for Howard Cosell. Michael Marley is going to join us here coming up in a little bit. And then a little bit later on, as we go around the NFL, I'm going to be talking to insiders of teams that are moving quarterbacks. Mike Pritchard in a moment because Pritch played in Seattle. As you know, he's the morning host here with Clay Baker on Raider Nation Radio as this Russell Wilson drama is heating up. And Christian Dyer is going to join us in a little bit uh, from SNY in New York on Sam Darnold and the Jets. Uh, No one has more political draft equity than the Jets. The Jets can do the best deals out there. But I think a lot of players are saying, I'd rather not go to the Jets. Send me anywhere other than the Jets. And that includes Deshaun Watson, so we'll get to that on the other side. Uh, You heard Mike Pritchard this morning with Clay Baker. What a job he does, the former wide receiver, taking number 13 overall. He was the MVP for the Colorado Buffaloes, Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer, and connected more so than anyone I know when it comes to being a former player, when it comes to the NFL, now with VEASAN. We welcome Mike to the show. And, Mike, I wanted to have you on to talk more nationally. you got a lot of sources in Seattle, and it seems like things are really heating up with Russell Wilson.
2: JT, you know, Russell did the ultimate PR move, right? Uh, If he's a quarterback, a franchise quarterback, and he goes to the franchise and and publicly demands a trade, I think from a PR standpoint, he'd take a hit. He's not taking a hit right now. And the reason why is because – he put it in the hands of the Seattle Seahawks and said, look, if you guys don't like what I want to do, then okay, go ahead and trade me. And by the way, these are the teams that I would love to go to. In other words, what Russell Wilson is saying to those other teams is come and get me. You know, if you need a quarterback, if you want a quarterback, if you want me come and get me, I think you guys can work out a deal. And certainly I'll be ready to go to your location and to your franchise. So, Russell is playing this perfectly, I think, from that standpoint. We'll see how it plays out, though. Uh, But I I think the Super Bowl window is closed up there in Seattle unless they just drastically change everything. Uh, And then you can see the writing on the wall, too, for Russell Wilson to get out of Seattle as well.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that. You make a great point. I think the window is closed for the Super Bowl unless they do some drastic things. They had a great back end of the defense over the years from the Legion of Boom onwards. They've tried to bring in and mix and match some edge rushers that they've been fortunate with. They had Marshawn Lynch. They had receivers at times that played at a high level. But I think Russ is looking around going, this offensive line and this overall roster, other than Bobby Wagner, is not good enough for me to consistently win in the most difficult division in all of the NFL. Do you think that's part of it? I I do.
2: I do. They gave up a lot, a ton, for Jamal Adams on on top of that. Uh, And so if you're Russell Wilson, you're running around for your life back there, uh, you know you can make it happen. You know you've won Super Bowls for this franchise, too. And this franchise goes out and overpays for a defensive back. I mean, I love Jamal Adams. I do. But I don't know if a strong safety – is going to help you win a Super Bowl the way that a quarterback will. Uh, so why are you giving up all that draft equity and and capital where you can help out that offense and help out Russell Wilson? So there's there's a little bit of that. He's on another offensive coordinator because Pete Carroll fired the other one. Um, so it's it's that turnstile. JT is that revolving door, that unsettled nature. I think when you're when you're Russell Wilson, uh, you just want. You want to avoid that at this point of your career. I think I think he wants that continuity. I think he wants to be loved again. And certainly he wants to uh, have a chance to win another Super Bowl, and that's what he's looking for, uh, someone someone, or some franchise that can be on the same page of, as Russell Wilson. Now, a lot of fans will say that's wrong. Why does the player have that much control? But you think about players and later on in their career and certainly the dollars that they're making right now, uh, I, I, I see their points, JT. They're the CEO. Uh, you know, they, they're the face of that franchise, and, and they, a lot of times they want it to be right. And if it's not right, uh, this is the way that they tell everybody that it's not right. Mike
0: Pritchard is our guest. What a player he was. Great Sports Talk radio host. Catch him now at VEASAN. Uh, Mike, when we go to Deshaun Watson, what's changed on your show? Because your show on VEASAN, you're also looking at the odds of where he's going to land from a gaming perspective. And they let J.J. Watt go. DeAndre Hopkins left. They haven't been been doing well with personnel. And now the one guy they want to hold on to, it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to do it. Has it quieted down over the last week or two? Or do you think it's going to pick up heavy here over the next two weeks? How do you see that?
2: I It should pick up. I mean, if the Houston Texans know how to do business, it should pick up. JT, they don't have a first-round or a second-round pick this year. And so you're going to hold on to a player that clearly wants out of there, uh, and all because you want to prove that you guys are right as an organization. I mean, Deshaun Watson doesn't want to play there. I don't think you can do anything as an organization to convince – Deshaun Watson otherwise so go ahead and trade them and get the multitude of picks that you can receive from a Deshaun Watson trade to help your team you know I mean you're gonna you're gonna tank anyway you're gonna be bad anyway you're gonna be horrible for a while okay well make sure you get a a number of first round draft choices a number of second round draft choices some players on top of that I think they can get a haul uh, in return for a player that doesn't want to be there anymore and you know, I don't know why that franchise is dug in the way that they are, to be honest with you, JT.
0: But Mike, you played in this game at the highest level, and if, if you start letting players who sign extensions, Watson just signed a four-year extension. James Harden had two years left on his deal. Anthony Davis in New Orleans. If all of a sudden everybody who didn't like the situation they were in demanded a trade and went down this road, it'd be tough to have successful leagues. And I— I don't know what's going to happen with Cal McNair in Houston, and I don't know exactly what's going to go on because, as you know, there's a little bit of an ownership void with what's going on in Seattle. Peter King told me that where, look, it's, you're not always going to win. You played on teams that won and teams that weren't winning certain years. You got to kind of keep the unit and the team together or the players are going to just all want to bail the elite players when the going gets tough. Well, you know, JT, there's two
2: sides to that, and you're right to to a certain extent because you look at the turnover with the Houston Texans. Did Deshaun Watson sign up for that with his contract? I mean, yeah. I don't know if that was the case. I don't know if he thought he was going to have to get along and, and coexist with a new regime that way. Uh, so contracts are contracts. I get it, but yet. The organization has to do what's right, too. The organization, from, from an upstairs standpoint, they have to be stable. Uh, and then players wouldn't want to leave. I mean, I think when you're a player, you get drafted, you put on that hat, you walk across the stage, you give Roger Goodell the pro hug and all that. I mean, you want to stay with that franchise, but you also want things to stay consistent. Uh, and so, it, you know, it, I, I think from a player's standpoint, when you feel like it's going the wrong way and, and you know it's going the wrong way, uh, then it's probably best for you to get out of there. And, and I think that's what you're seeing from the high-profile guys. Now, obviously, a lot of players in the league, they don't have this type of leverage. Uh, but a lot of these players, a lot of players don't run into these kind of situations when you're the face of a franchise. And and therefore, you want so much for your career, and you know, you know you're know, you running into a brick wall every Sunday.
0: Mike Pritchard is our guest. Check him out at Vason all the gaming work he's doing, also my teammate on Raiders Radio. And Mike and I anchored the draft on the radio for the Raiders this past year. And, Mike, you told me something that stayed with me ever since on Derek Carr. You wanted to see him become an elite quarterback. And you broke down for me the difference between Carr and Patrick Mahomes. And that was the ability to look off a safety better, be able to do more things outside the pocket, and elevate his game. Did you see enough from him? to think he's on the road to being elite or is his ceiling right about here and the Raiders are only going to get so much out of him?
2: JT, I did see enough to where he took that next step. Absolutely. I think a lot of people are excited about uh, Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr is excited about his own level of play. Um, Derek Carr had comments recently in terms of, okay, I'm entering in my prime. I mean, not a lot of 30-year-old quarterbacks say that, but I think that's the confidence level of Derek Carr saying, look, I'm entering in my prime. I really love this offense, and he does. You can see it. Um, there's some other things he needs to work on, obviously. You know, Derek Carr had the most fumbles out of any offensive player in the National Football League last year, so he's got to clean that up. But as far as quarterbacking, manipulating the pocket, uh, manipulating and moving defenders where he wants them to go to open up throwing lanes, yeah, Derek Carr is starting to understand that. So, I love his footwork in the pocket, too. I think he's balanced. I think he's got confidence. It's just holding on to the ball. And then the next step for me, for Derek Carr, JT, is to become a playmaker. I think today's NFL quarterbacks, they're no longer pocket passes. They're, they, they are pocket passes, but they have to be playmakers, too. Uh, and those are the difference makers. And certainly, you know, if you have the arm talent like a Tom Brady uh, and stuff like that or Aaron Rodgers, Uh, you know certainly that that gets you by but you also have to be able to make plays with your legs and and I think Derek Carr could do that he's athletic enough to do that he's just got to be more consistent with that part of his game
0: all right we have many things in common one for me that I don't have in common is I didn't win an MVP in college on a national championship team and I didn't play wide receiver in the NFL like you but we both have two radio shows so You prep for an early morning, morning drive show on an NFL flagship, and then you go to VEASAN, and you're talking about gaming and how listeners want to bet on games and in-game betting and previewing games. What is your typical day now like as a radio host with two different styles of radio shows? I have two different styles of shows like you. How does it work around your day? How do you mentally prepare for that?
2: Oh, it's tough, man. I I didn't know it was going to be this tough, to be honest with you, take JT. I, uh, it's a grind sometimes, but you, you got to love it, right? You got to love what you do. I think working with VCEN and opening up that part of Vegas that I wasn't privy to for so long, because as a player, I, I couldn't step foot in the sports book. I, I was too scared that the FBI would knock on my door, right? So uh, I didn't want any part of sports wagering. And, and now that my eyes have been open to it, uh, and seeing everybody participate and talk to some of the sharpest bettors, sports bettors you can find. I mean, it's incredible. It's eye-opening. And, and it's a thrill to be on, on VSEN, the network uh, across the country, and, and, and really be able to talk sports and sports wagering. I mean, I think uh, that's a great combination. And yeah, then the flagship in the morning uh, its the ability to talk football, to talk about my hometown team, which is the Las Vegas Raiders now. So it's a different energy. but prepping for it it's a challenge but but it's something that i'm enjoying right now
0: i always tell people this about you you played in the nfl you had a really good career who was the best player you played with on each of the three teams that you played mm-hmm. for in the nfl i think i know the answer but i'd like you to tell it to our audience
2: well obviously deon sanders uh in atlanta was the best player uh i mean he's one of the best players i've ever seen next to bo jackson of course but uh, Deion Sanders. In um, Denver was John Elway, even though my locker was next to Shannon Sharp. I still put John Elway up there. Uh, and then in Seattle, it gets tough in Seattle because I played with Warren Moon for a couple of years and Cortez Kennedy too, though, uh, JT. And I, I played with Cortez my entire career, and uh, rest in peace to Cortez. And, uh, and the guy was just a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete for a big man. Uh, so I'll put Warren Moon and Cortez Kennedy in a tie uh, up there in Seattle. But, yeah, John Oway, and then, of course, the great Deion Sanders out in Atlanta.
0: And then how about your teammates in Colorado when you won a national championship? Not not yeah. too shabby with those guys, huh?
2: No, no, those are my brothers, man. I mean, Eric Genemy, uh Alfred Williams, uh, Greg Beekert, uh Chad Brown. I mean, I can go on and on and on, Dave McLuhan, uh so many great players and, and that we had on that roster that led to a national championship. And, and you know, all Americans, uh, college football Hall of Famers as well, Canavis McGee and Charles Johnson, Darian Hagan. I mean, you can go on and on and on, just legends uh, in the state of Colorado. And, and to this day, to this day, JT, appreciate it. Uh, I mean, we, we won that national title, like you said, back in 1990. And and to this day, you know, you still get fan mail and you still get people that are appreciative uh, of that time and, and that journey and certainly the accomplishments that we had that year.
0: Well, thank you, Mike. I value us working together, but I value our friendship even more. Thanks a lot for doing this. Always great to hear from you.
2: JT, uh, my pleasure, man.
0: Anytime. Always my pleasure, Mike. Whenever I get a chance to hang out or talk to Mike Pritchard, I'm better off for it. Coming up next, Michael Marley ringside for Ali Frazier won 50 years ago tonight. The acclaimed boxing columnist from the New York Post on one of the greatest and biggest and most impactful sporting events ever 50 years ago tonight.
3: Scoring 25 knockouts. Here is
1: Muhammad Ali. His opponent from
3: Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's wearing green trunks. He weighs 205 and a Defeated in
1: 26 bouts, scoring 23 knockouts, the heavyweight
0: champion of the world, Joe Frazier. JT, back 50 years ago tonight on a Monday night, Ali Frazier won. Many people consider it one of the greatest and most important relevant sporting events in the history of our country. Michael Marley was there. He's been a boxer, a boxing columnist at the New York Post, an Emmy Award-winning producer for Howard Cosell at ABC Sportsbeat. And he also managed several world champions, and he joins us on the 50-year anniversary. Michael, thanks for your time. Thanks so much for doing this. How are you? Good to be with you, legend. It's been a long time. Last time I spoke to you was
3: when Mike Tyson was in his reign of terror.
0: And it was a reign of terror. Tell me you what 50 back
3: years to That magic, hearing ring announcer Johnny Abbey's voice right back to magic of that night at the garden.
0: Tell me about that. You're a 20-year-old college student. Your connection to Ali. How did you end up at the fight ringside? Well, when I was about
3: 12, 12, 12 and a half, I became fascinated by Cassius Clay, who was a young uh, professional heavyweight. And I started following them through the newspapers. I started at what I grandly named the International Cassius Clay Fan Club. I, I took memberships. People would send me $5 to join. I had a newsletter called the Louisville Lip, which I sent out about once a month. And I wrote, most importantly, I wrote letters to uh, Clay at his home address in Louisville, Kentucky. It was so long ago, they didn't even have zip codes. He never responded. Then one day I picked up the paper in Boston and it said that the rematch with Liston was going to be in Boston. I called up the Statler Hilton Hotel. I asked for Muhammad Ali. They said nobody there by that name. I said to the operator, please check for Cassius Clay. He picked up the phone and I recognized his voice right away. And I said he had a record album out on Columbia Records called I Am The Greatest. And I quoted from it. I said... If you sign to fight me, you need speed and endurance, but what you need most of all is increase your insurance. So he said, you're the kid that writes me the letters, the kid with the fan club. He said to me, are you white or are you a colored boy? I said, I'm colored, I'm colored white. Is that an issue? He said, no, I was just curious. Next day I met him in the hotel lobby. I went to the press conference with Ian Liston.
0: And from then on, I became uh, almost part of his entourage. Michael Marley is our guest. So the night of the fight 50 years ago tonight, first off, tell us why it was on a Monday night and it wasn't on a Saturday night. 300 million plus people saw this fight considered the most important fight of all time. Take me back 50 years ago. Well, the reason was just economics
3: because the uh, movie theater operators, and there were a lot lot more movie theaters than there are today, they didn't want to have an event on a Monday on a uh, on a weekend night because they made enough money with the movies. So Monday night was the closed circuit television night. But the the whole event was majestic and magnetic. And one thing I think JT that's been forgotten, it was like a racial tension convention because a lot of people, uh, younger people like myself, uh, we worshipped Ali. Some people like Joe Frazier, but there were a lot of people who were not so much Frazier fans as they were anti-Ali because of his stand against Vietnam. Don't forget, he lost 42 months of his primetime career for refusing to go to Vietnam and fight in the Army.
0: Michael Marley's our guest. I've watched this fight over 50 times. I watched it again over the weekend on the special that ran on ESPN and ABC. And I want to get to the fight and the backdrop as they were building momentum for the fight, and Ali was taunting Frazier. Frazier was the heavyweight champion of the world. Can you tell me about Team Ali? What went wrong, if anything, for the training for this fight, knowing it would go 15 rounds, and both of these gentlemen almost killed each other in the ring? Well, you know,
3: and then they continued in their second fight, which was really not spectacular. And then the third fight, which was almost, uh, they almost beat each other to death at Rilla in Manila. So they were always going to be great and awesome rivals. But Ali had ring rust. He'd only had two fights since he came back after the Vietnam episode. He fought uh, Jerry Quarry in Atlanta, and then Oscar Bonavina at the Garden. I think he should have had a private fight under live boxing conditions, but he didn't. And uh, look, the fight, I looked up the scoring the other day just for fun. One judge, Bill Recht, who is known to be a proficient judge, he scored at 11-4, to 4, meaning he only gave four rounds to Muhammad Ali. Now, that's ridiculous. I think the referee, Arthur Mercani did a spectacular job as usual. Mm. He had an 8-6-1, which is not a bad score. I, Even though I was Ali's man and I cried tears at ringside, And beyond, uh, I had to admit, I thought Joe Frazier won, but I thought he won eight rounds out of 15.
0: Some of the scores
3: were out of whack.
0: Michael Marley is our guest. So 50 years ago tonight, Frank Sinatra is working for Life Magazine as a photographer on the apron. Burt Lancaster is on the call of the fight. As a young boy, tell me what it was like looking around Madison Square Garden, to see how packed it was, people wearing tuxedos, suits, women coming in dressed to the nines, and how big of a night it is. It was big all around the world, but inside the garden, the sights, the smell. What do you remember most 50 years ago tonight?
3: I'll tell you one thing I remember I'll never forget is there was a, uh, a nice-looking black lady three rows in front of me, and she had on this cornucopia, horn and, this hat. The, the hat was about five inches tall by itself, and some people were complaining about her blocking the view. She didn't take off her hat, and nobody asked her to. Why? Because it was the queen of soul, Aretha Franklin.
0: Incredible. So that night in that fight, changed boxing forever. When Ali, who you knew well, and were getting to know him better, and would have a long life with him, when Ali lost that fight, after the ring rust and missing out on three years. Did you have any doubt after that that he would go on to be the greatest heavyweight of all time and have this legendary career and have to go through not only Frazier but Foreman? And Foreman was a heavy favorite over him. What was your confidence level for Ali the night he lost to Frazier in the first of the super fights? You
3: know, I became good friends with Joe Frazier towards the end of his life. He and I were supposed to write a book together, but I let law school, my law school studies get in the way. But he always used to say to me, you're okay, he says, but I know you're a clay man. I said, Joe, I don't deny it. I met him first. I idolized him, and he's treated me like a king. Uh, so, I, yes, I am a clay man. But you can never doubt Ali. As he used to say, if, if Cassius says a mosquito can, can uh, uh pull a plow, don't ask how, hitch him up. I mean, he was the man that did the impossible. He said the impossible. And don't forget, in those days, he used to predict the round that he would win in.
0: Michael Marley, as we wrap it up, the acclaimed boxing columnist for the New York Post. Tonight is the 50-year anniversary of the most important fight in boxing history. Michael, finally, when you look back, I tell my sons this. I told one of my sons this over the weekend. I said, if you don't watch Ali Frazier 1, you cannot be considered a great sports fan. To me, it is required viewing. It's an historical event from the Vietnam War, the backdrop of race, the issues of Ali versus Frazier, and what was happening around the world at this time. It was a very volatile time in the history of not only the United States of America, but throughout the world. Do you agree with me that this goes down? Is this a Mount Rushmore sporting event that will never leave the Mount Rushmore as long as we live?
3: You said it perfectly, JT, because they talk about how our country is politically and racially divided today. All the protests, all the different causes, people on one side, people on the other side don't speak. Uh, we had a riot at Congress. Uh, but America, America was divided that night. The Ali camp. And the Fraser camp, very few people are neutral, but classic boxing, and I think the most important sports event of all time.
0: I would agree with you. I think it is the single most important sporting event of all time, and I'm a sports talk radio host that is lucky to be in this profession and talk to a gentleman like you. Uh, Michael Marley, enjoy your anniversary tonight, man. You you played a big role in this. I'm thrilled we were able to connect. I really appreciate you coming on.
3: J.T., you're a legend yourself in broadcasting. Thanks so much. Good to speak. You got to it you. there.
0: Thank you, Michael Marley, who was ringside. What a story! As a 12 year old boy, he comes up with the Cassius Clay fan club. He tries to get in touch with him. He finally cold calls him in a hotel. And then Ali puts him in his entourage and has him ringside at the greatest sporting event of all time 50 years ago tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, please understand this. 50 years ago tonight, everyone in the United States of America, 300 million people around the world dropped everything. It wasn't a Friday or Saturday night. It wasn't on radio because of the promotion. And they went to movie theaters to see this closed circuit. My dad told me the story. My uncle told me the story. There is nothing like this today. Forget about the Super Bowl. Forget about LeBron James. Imagine Muhammad Ali being banished from boxing for three years because... He did not want to serve his country in the Vietnam War for religious beliefs. Joe Frazier is the champion. Everybody's pulling for Ali except for the people who hated Ali because he wouldn't serve his country. They come into the ring at Madison Square Garden. You can't get into the place. Hollywood is there. The New York elite is there. And it goes 15 rounds. So knowing that I was going to have him on today, I went back and watched round 11 which is one of the greatest rounds in boxing history where Frazier tags Ali with the left hook, and Ali is stumbling and barely could stand up. Ali gets himself on the ropes and gets through the round, finishes the fight. In the 15th round, he gets knocked down. He gets knocked down to the canvas. He loses the fight, and then he wins the next two. Ali, Frazier, two and three, and wins it goes on to beat George Foreman and is considered the most important and relevant boxer of all time. That was 50 years ago tonight. If you know anybody who was alive back then or a family member, give them a call and said, hey, what was that like? Because we'll never see it again. It's not like a Final Four. It's nothing like we've ever seen in our life. And we have to look back on history and we have to embrace it. We have to remember this. And, as again, as I told you as we were talking to Michael Marley, at this time in your life, You should go back on YouTube and watch the entire fight and to see what you missed out on so you can educate yourself on the biggest sporting event in the history of America. It was that fight. It was bigger than Babe Ruth. It was bigger than Michael Jordan. It was bigger than Wayne Gretzky, and it's bigger than anything now. Fifty years ago tonight, Ali Frazier, thrilled that we were able to talk to Marley. We're going to talk about Sam Darnold and the Jets coming back. What I'm going to do over the next week or two is we're going to go around the league. We had Mike Pritchard on to talk about Seattle and Russell Wilson. Christian Dyer on Sam Darnold and the Jets. We're going to go to Houston and John McClain. John Clayton is going to join us this week. I got this thing locked in as free agency is here. And no surprise, as Ian Rappaport reported in the last hour, the Raiders are releasing LaMarcus Joyner. He was set to make 9.95 million in this cap environment. that was tough to make sense of. Another starter available in free agency. Lamarcus came to the Raiders from the Rams, supposed to play safety and slot receiver. He didn't live up to it. He made a lot of money, and the Raiders now, what they're doing, they're paying the price for oversigning some players financially, but you can tell the seriousness of this for the silver and Black as they are gutting some of their roster to get under the cap to bring in better players. And I think there are better players than LaMarcus Joyner who can help out the Raiders going forward. You know, I don't blame the Raiders for making the decision. They thought he was that player. They thought that Littleton was that player too. And if they did it to Joyner, they can do it to Littleton next year if he doesn't save his job this year. This is what's happening. You make a mistake financially, you clean it up. And the Raiders are doing some cleaning up now. Richie Incognito. Gabe Jackson, a really good player. Man, Gabe is a hell of a player. Now they have to make a decision on Trent Brown. And Trent Brown's thinking, wow, if they let LaMarcus Joyner go, are they coming for me? Yeah, I think they are. And if they decide they can't get anybody better and Trent's able to convince John Gruden that he's going to be available, bring him back and let's see if he can play and live up to the hype. 702-365-9200. 702-365-9200. Special day today, special week in Vegas. We have college basketball players throughout our city. Welcome them. You're probably not going to see them. They're in a soft bubble, but they'll be playing at T-Mobile, the Thomas and Mac in the Orleans, as we are a vibrant community opening up, coming off a of NASCAR into college basketball right here in Vegas, home of the silver and black, the Las Vegas Raiders on their flagship.
1: it was a report a few weeks ago from Adam Schefter that you are listening to offers for Sam. You're, you're taking those calls. Has your stance on that changed? Are you willing to listen to offers from teams on Sam?
0: I, I will answer the call, you know, if, if it's made as it pertains to Sam. I mean, I, like I said, Sam, Sam's a, we think a dynamic player in this league with unbelievable talent and who's really, really has a chance to, Really hit his outstanding potential moving forward, but um, you know, like I said earlier, if calls are made, I, I will I will answer. Them. That's really transparent. That's Joe Douglas, the GM of the Jets. The Jets have more to give than any team with all their first-round picks, what they have coming up on some deals that they made, and the Jets are in the number one media market, and they have Sam Darnold, who they're willing to move. JT, back with you as we get ready and we continue to cover this quarterback carousel and how it affects the league, the division, the conference. And we're all on the same boat here, everybody. We just watched Tom Brady leave a team in the New England Patriots, leave his conference, and go to the NFC without any preparation, not able to play any preseason football, have OTAs, and win the Super Bowl. And win the Super Bowl by beating Drew Brees and beating Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Now, it's Tom Brady, I get it but you got to be more confident than when you were last year on rebooting with the quarterback. If Brady can reboot at 43 and leave the AFC and win a Super Bowl in the NFC, you got to believe that some of these other quarterbacks are worth the risk. And that's really been the big topic of the offseason that affects a lot of teams, not really the Raiders here in Vegas, because the Raiders are in a very good situation. They have a top-10 quarterback, a top 10 quarterback in Derek Carr, but not a top five quarterback. And for those who are wondering, well, how does Derek Carr become a top five quarterback? He doesn't need to. Trent Dilfer won the Super Bowl. Brad Johnson won the Super Bowl. Jeff Hostetler won the Super Bowl. You don't have to be a top five quarterback to win the Super Bowl. But in order to consistently go back and go through a guy like Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, you really got to be in a position Well, you're going to do something special. You're going to do something special, and you're going to win consistently. And I think most Raider fans that I talk to believe that Derek is that guy who can do that. Uh, Derek was out at the track yesterday. I thought that was a great PR move for him. He took a helicopter in. Maverick helicopter came out there with his kids and did uh, drivers start your engines, and it was loud, and he threw a fist pump. And as I looked out in the crowd, there were a bunch of Raider fans who were holding up card jerseys and all clapping and standing up and clapping for him. Derek Carr is not the problem. He is not the issue. The problem becomes, can the Raiders, after the getting rid of so many players, which they need to do, you cannot overpay Carl Nassib. You can't overpay Carl Nassib. You can't overpay Trent Brown. You can't overpay LaMarcus Joyner. It's just not right to do. If you made a mistake with those players, you got to move on from those players. And that's what's happening now with the Raiders. So a lot of people are wondering. Vic Taper, 33 minutes ago, when asked about Carl Nassib being cut, he said they're getting, the Raiders are getting ready to eat $5.8 million in order to save $3.7 million. Not a fun pill to swallow. And it's not. And Vic went on to write, I was highly critical of Whitehead, but the Joyner move, he pocketed $22 million, and NASA deals were far worse. Mariota's contract is so bad, the Raiders can't trade him. Maybe this year will be better. So we're, we're looking at all the dead cap hits and what's going to happen here. So Joyner, has, according to, to Sean Reed, has a dead cap hit of $2.5 million and was set to make $11.2 million. So releasing him would save $8.7 million according to SportsTrack. And that would leave the Raiders with roughly $169.6 million in salaries on the books. The salary cap floor is $180 million, but could rise. So the Raiders are really going out of their way to make some really tough decisions on what they're going to do to go forward to improve this football team. So that being said... After doing all this, what are they going to do? I don't know. They're getting pretty aggressive, eating a lot of money on some mistakes. They deem to be mistakes. Players that they don't believe they should pay any more because of their skill set. And that's okay. That's part of doing business. And the fans are going to make them remember that. The fans will make Mike Mayock remember that. But if Mike Mayock could come in with all these savings now and with the new money that he has on the cap, if he can come in and hit a couple of home runs – In free agency, most people will look at it differently and forget about it. So there's a lot on the line with that now, and that's why the Raiders are in a very tough spot. I mean, there is no wiggle room. They have to nail the draft in free agency, and I know that's the focus over in the building. Everybody in Henderson's looking to do that. I didn't get a chance to mention the NBA All-Star game. A couple of quick sound bites from the game. Yesterday, last night, uh, Steph Curry Fantastic in that game, he easily could have won the MVP if it wasn't for Giannis. Here's Curry with the half court shot. Curry at half court launches the deep one. Curry's
1: another
0: Dame time. How about Curry time? Curry was incredible in the game. He just got in a rhythm. He won the three point contest on the last shot, and that was the day of the game. What was unique because of COVID protocol is that the NBA had to fit in that All Star weekend into one night on Sunday night and Steph Curry chucked up a lot of shots and he was able to have a big game Giannis Antetokounmpo had a game that we'll never see again in our lifetime I could say this honestly he only played 19 minutes 19 minutes he was 16 of 16 from the field and he was three of three from three-point land in under 20 minutes so he won the MVP Giannis was incredible
2: Denver's own Jokic drives,
0: feeds Giannis, reverse dunk from half a foot away. He's 14 for 14. it's hard to do. Now, a lot of the buckets were easy. They were putbacks, layups, and dunks, but still to go 16 for 16. uh, Giannis is a special player, and then when they had that system at the end where you had to score a certain amount of points in the fourth quarter to end the game, Damian Lillard did that. It was Dame time. Dame just inside a half for the win. Yes! Team LeBron wins it. Game time in Atlanta. Incredible there, ESPN on the call. Uh, after the game, the commissioner awarded Giannis Antetokounmpo with the Kobe Bryant newly named MVP award. Our Kobe Bryant MVP award tonight goes to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, Giannis was fantastic in a game. Again, you'll never see that in an all star game because there are so many missed baskets, so many missed buckets in an all star game. And every year when I watch the NBA All-Star game, I go through the same feeling. I'm in full disgust when the game starts in the first quarter. It's just a layup line, chucking, no defense. And then by the fourth quarter, when they try to play a little bit of defense, I'm usually a little bit better. But the NBA All-Star game now is just its, it's just—it's less than an exhibition. You just got to put your passion for sports aside and understand it's not the end of the world and try to enjoy it. Adam Silver was able to speak to the media he had a State of the Union which he does as he talks to the media at the All-Star break and not this season where they're trying to get fans into the arenas he's looking for next season when everybody will come back.
1: Frankly I'm fairly optimistic at this point that we will be able to start on time and that we have roughly you know half of our teams have fans in the arenas right now and if vaccines continue on the pace they are and they continue to be as effective as they have been against the virus and its variants. We're hopeful that we'll have relatively full arenas uh, next season as well.
0: So he's hoping that he's he's hoping that next time around he's hoping that next time around it'll work out and again I hope he gets more fans in the seats this year. Uh, Silver talked about the rest of this season for the playoffs it will not be a bubble.
1: We're not considering going back to a bubble right now. I I don't rule anything out just because one thing we've all come to understand over the last year is that the virus is firmly in charge.
0: Yeah, that's a big decision because Silver gets a lot of good information. And he talked about the vaccines that are coming forward now. More vaccinated fans mean more fans in the arena
1: by the time we reach the playoffs um, in, in mid-May, things will even be considerably better than they are now. And at least here in the United States, we've been making excellent progress in terms of vaccinations. That will be very helpful in getting people back in the arenas.
0: And one more I want to get to on the way out. I thought this was one of the most important sound bites of the entire weekend. We don't talk about this much. Owners are losing money, and so are players who are clearly taking pay cuts.
1: Last season and this season has required a significant investment on the part of the team owners. They accept that. Players will end up taking a reduction in salary this season because there are partners with the league and teams on revenue. League executives, team executives have all taken haircuts on their salary. But I think when we all step back, we feel very fortunate to be working under these circumstances. And my sense is the players feel the same way.
0: All right, so today was an important show. I wanted to share with you what it was like uh, going to NASCAR and seeing that event in town. You know, I'm very pro-Vegas, as you know, and to be out at the track and see that many people show up and try to start the process of getting back to normalcy and going, going to sporting events again, that was pretty important. Uh, the remainder of this week, we're going to have some college basketball coaches on. We will monitor what the Raiders are doing. The Raiders aren't doing anything, really, other than releasing players. All the Raiders are doing is are setting up their big run into free agency, I believe, and hopefully a defensive trade, which will bring in a star player. When you look at the players that they are losing now, LaMarcus Joyner, Richie Incognito, Gabe Jackson, potentially Trent Brown, I believe Carl Nassib, all those players are going to need to be replaced with better players. And if not better, players who economically fit the roster, so the Raiders can compete at a higher level. Very complicated to do, but you just care about wins, and I understand that. Thanks to all of our partners. We'll introduce several new ones this week, including Bell Solar, the biggest solar company out there that's hiring, we'll tell you all about that this week, as we have a couple of their executives on. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. If you miss any portion of it, lbsportsnetwork.com. Thanks to the Raiders mobile app. Have a great day and night, everybody, and 50 years ago tonight, I'll leave Razor 1. Go watch the fight. It'll change your life. Have a good night everybody. All right? Take care.